Welcome to Improv Interviews with Margot Escott, a psychotherapist in Naples, Florida, who is using her 35 years of experience to develop improvisation programs benefiting and improving the lives of those with emotional and physical challenges. Improv Interviews brings together the world's leading improvisational theatre masters, founders and innovators who are using improvisation therapeutically in unique and surprising ways. With great guests that include legends like Ed Asner and Aretha Sills, you're sure to learn something new about improvisation. This is Improv Interviews with your host, Margot Escott. Well, today's guest is an extra special, wonderful person. You know, sometimes people will say about somebody, they're a great guy or I really like them. But when I mention Mark Warsecka's name, people in the improv field say, I love that guy. He is so cool. And after taking a few classes with him at the sketch writing workshops, I can say I love Mark too. Welcome to Improv Interviews, Mark. Oh, thank you so much, Margo. It's a thrill to be here. And uh, same to you. I mean, we've, we've had a few classes together now, and I just have loved working with you, love your creativity, love your writing, love your presence, love your energy, and love what you bring to the ensemble, to the writer's room, to pitching, to other people's work. So it's a delight to get to spend, I guess we've spent a fair amount of time together now in larger groups, but it's nice to kind of be here in this one-on-one conversation with you. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. And our good friend Jay Suko said, make sure that I say hello to Mark. All right. Hi, Jay. <laughs> and Rich Baker. They all love you. Oh, so, I love them. I know. Isn't the improv world great? I mean, when I discovered improv, I started finding all these kindred spirits that were kind kindred spirits that were kind of like somewhat offbeat, like I've always been. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Right. Like, um, and I think that the, I hope that the principles of improvisation sort of bleed into some of how we relate to each other in our personal lives within the improv community, the idea of yes, and, and, and connecting and embracing each other and supporting each other, I think, I think feeds into it and informs friendships and relationships. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I want to start at the very beginning. I'd like to hear a little bit about your family. But before we do that, one of the things when I was looking over your very impressive vitae was your experience with wrestling. Could you share that a little bit? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I didn't expect you to. I've always. (laughs) So my life and career has been primarily comedy, but I've had this this much smaller sort of parallel career in professional wrestling. I always loved it from when I was a little kid. And um, I started doing my first ever professional job in the entertainment industry ever was ring announcing a small independent pro wrestling show in front of about a hundred people in Taylor, Michigan for 25 bucks. And I used to do a lot of ring announcing and play by play announcing when I was a teenager on small wrestling shows in the Midwest. I'm from Detroit. And eventually I probably would have continued doing it as my main career, except for I was lucky enough to audition for the second city in Detroit when I was 20 years old and got hired. And the wrestling shows were on Friday and Saturday nights. And the second city shows were on Friday and Saturday nights. And I had to make a choice. 
and I, I Second City was paying a little more, not a lot more, but a little more. <laughs> and uh, it was, and I ended up going with that. But I've always stayed connected to the wrestling world. In fact, I just did some play-by-play announcing last month uh, for for a wrestling show out here. So I still do, I still dip a toe in every now and then. Fantastic. I love that. Of course, the men in my family love wrestling. I've oh. never been a fan, but they all love it. And there's a game, um, a slow-mo game where, um, well, I was thinking about a game where we, we do things in slow-mo and we have people calling out the activity. And that's kind of like calling out a wrestling match. Do you know the game I'm talking about? Like slow-mo I... sports thing? Um, yeah, maybe. Got two people and they're doing things like, you yeah. know, vacuuming a floor in slow motion and then two other people are the color commentators yeah 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 of course yes yeah yeah you'd be great at that <laughs> yeah that's a fun game to watch and to play but there is a similarity i mean it, a lot of people don't realize this but professional wrestling is has a tremendous amount of improvisation because they are not when two when when two wrestlers get into the ring to have a match with each other they almost always have not planned out the move, the the match move by move. It's too complicated to do that. They are improvising. They have a general direction of where they're going to go. They know what kind of tone they're going for. They know what the ending is going to be, but they're not, but they are in the moments listening to the crowd, discreetly giving signals to each other and Flowing and vibing with each other and with the audience. So they are very much improvisers. So cool. I love that. What a great place for you to start. That's one. Yeah. Now, um, I'm kind of interested in how you got to Detroit. We were talking before the show started about your family. And how did you get to Michigan? I'd, I'd love to hear that. Yeah, my, my um, we're ethnically Armenian on my mom's side of the family and my um maternal great-grandparents were genocide uh, survivors and refugees. They were taken in by the country of France. So they lived there in a small town and were coal miners. My grandparents were born there. And when my grandparents were about 28 and my mom was two, they decided that coal mining wasn't the life for them. And they came to Detroit to get a job. You know, my dad, grandfather got a job working in the, in the factories, right. As so many immigrants were doing at that time, coming to Detroit in that time period. Wow. What a family history. My goodness. And are you an only child, Mark? I have a sister that is 18 months younger than me. And is she in the entertainment field as well? Or No, she's a nurse. <laughs> Although she's, She's very funny. I, and I've always tried to get her to take an improv class because I think she would really like it and be good at it. But it's just not she's I haven't talked her into it yet. So uh, you're in a suburb of Detroit. Is that right? When you're growing yeah, up? Yeah, I mean, I was. Yes. Yes. I mean, the short version is yes. I was born in the city, uh, lived in the city as a little kid. Then we moved to a first ring suburb. I went to school in Dearborn Heights and lived in Dearborn and then moved uh when i was like 18 moved back to the city and was working and living downtown fantastic and so did you always have a comedic flair when you were growing up I and mean, were you the class clown at all or i was the class clown i was that type of person always i was even from elementary school okay. i was doing i remember in first grade i had these little um 
pencil, these little eraser caps for my pencils. And one was a little carrot and one was a little pea. And I would take them around to other kids' desks and do little shows with them do little performances with them. So I was always like trying to be funny, wanting to be funny. I guess I was just uh, born that way because I always remember wanting to be funny and trying to be funny. And, and what kind of shows were you watching as a kid and teenager? Well, I was obsessed with Sesame Street as a kid. As a little kid, I was obsessed with Sesame Street. And I think about that a lot as an adult doing sketch and improv because Sesame Street is a variety show and it is a, in a certain sense, a sketch show. I mean, it's a sketch and variety show for kids. So like, as soon as I was able to old enough to watch and understand TV, I think I was attracted to this type of work. I was attracted to short form pieces and short form comedy and variety. They are wonderful. And all their movies, most of their movies are so incredibly funny. And yeah. I had a girlfriend that was the costume designer for Jim Henson for many, many Oh, years. really? I used to go drop in in the studio in, in New York City and get to meet the real pig or one of the real pigs. <laughs> what a wonderful influence and such good, clean humor. I was listening. I love Conan O'Brien's podcast, Conan Needs a Friend. And he was talking yes. He's talking to Dana Carvey about humor and blue humor versus not blue humor. But, you know, my wife is uh, loves like you. She loves Conan's podcast and I listen to it as well and enjoy it. My wife really loves it. And Conan, as he mentions often on his show, he's just moved or opened Oh, nice podcast studio facilities on Larchmont Street in Los Angeles, which is where we live. So we now see Conan on a regular basis. Not weird. I don't know Conan. I've never met him, nor has my wife, but he's constantly uh, on Larchmont. And when and we are, too, we live three blocks away from there. So whenever it's a street, it's a little street of restaurants and shops. And so we're there. We're there literally every day. And but whenever we pass him or he passes us or we're in Rite Aid and he's in there my wife will say something from the show to him that's like some inside thing that like you know for the super show with super fans and he loves it and they'll talk for a second and, and then oh, that's Oh, he's that. moved into the neighborhood, which is nice. Oh, that is fantastic. I love that. I'm going to have to visit Large Mon Avenue when I come to L.A. and just it's, sit there. <laughs> it's booming. It's now the home of Conan's podcast studios. So um, now let's talk a little bit about when you got into Second City. Mm. And uh, had you been doing some sketch writing prior to that or writing as a, as a thing you love to do? I loved it. I loved SNL, you know, like a lot of us who end up doing this stuff. I loved SNL, especially in my early teens. I was extremely interested in it. I was really interested in comedy and wrestling. <laughs> my <laughs> friends and I, you know, this is when I was in high school, it was prior to the, um, you know, social media era. I would have, I think, really thrived and enjoyed making social media com uh, comedy as a, as a teenager and building a brand. But our alternative to that was a public access uh, cable show in our town. So we did that. Like when I was in high school, we had our own sketch comedy uh, public access television show. You mean and like Wayne's World? Like Wayne's, Wayne's World? exactly like Wayne's World. 
We would be, we would host it from the studio and then we would go out in the field and shoot sketches and we'd edit everything. And it was that kind of like low budget, small town, small time, Wayne's worldy show. And then we did a live stage show as well of sketches. So um, I was like doing stuff, right? You know, from the time I was 15, 16, I was into it and up and doing it. Oh my gosh. Do you have any of those archived? I mean, do you oh have- yeah. Oh, I'd love to see them. I, I haven't digitized any of them yet. Oh. It's, it's like, I, I know I've got to get them up on YouTube. <laughs> okay. They're on VHS right now. They're all on VHS right now <laughs> in a box. <laughs> oh my God. That is fantastic. So you were a natural when you got into second city and a lot of people don't even know there was the second city Detroit. I know. Right. Well, yeah. So second city, second city has had some you know, originally Second City was, of course, founded in Chicago, where it still is. The Toronto Second City is just celebrating its 50th anniversary. So there's been a lot of history in those two. There's been a few Second City theaters that have come and gone during the last 60 something years. And Detroit was one of them. Detroit was there, gosh, 93, I want to say roughly 15 years, um, starting in about 1993. So um, I was immediately interested in it and attracted to it. I did not get hired until my third audition. And I was terrible in my first two auditions because I had no improv training. I mean, I know now that I was terrible. I didn't know then that I was terrible. But the first two times I didn't get hired and I could tell you why I didn't get hired. I denied the whole time. I just said no to all my scene partners. And I I didn't know, I didn't know not to do that. You know, I thought I was making a great choice. And I also used actual personal props. Like I remember they pimped me into being a cop in one scene and I took my sunglasses out of my pocket and put them on. And I thought, what a cool move I'm making here to be the cop saying no the whole time. Uh, But I didn't, I couldn't put my finger on why I had no improv experience and I couldn't put my finger on why some of the people in my audition group seemed just better at auditioning at an improv than I was because I didn't know anything about it. But I talked to a couple guys after and they said, oh, yeah, I'm in level three and I'm in level two and I'm taking classes here. And I thought, oh, I should take these classes. So I started taking classes. And then when I auditioned again after having some improv experience because it was an all improv audition at that time uh i was lucky enough to get hired and lucky for them now there were some incredible people in detroit at the time weren't there we've had amazing people that came through detroit i mean some of the names that that uh are sort of in mainstream comedy right now the biggest star who came out of detroit is keegan michael key who of course keegan's had a like enormous impact on the world of sketch comedy uh, via Key and Peel, but a ton of other people that are well known and working, like Mary Beth Monroe, who's on um, uh, Larry Joe Campbell, who was on According to Jim, Mary Beth Monroe, who's on Bob Hart's Abby Shola, Mark Evan Jackson, who was on The Good Place, a tremendous amount of people who are writing and directing in the industry now, and a, a lot of uh, Tim Robinson and Sam Richardson, who were in Detroiters, which I was lucky enough to work on. and. Tim's, of course, had three seasons now of 
his award-winning sketch show, I Think You Should Leave, and a, a tremendous it's amount a of other show. fantastic people. Stick with it. I think that people, I didn't mean to interrupt, but people should stick with it. I love that show. And it may not be for everyone, but I think it's great. So Tim, and was Jamie Moyer out there? Of course. Jamie was, Jamie is a, you know, another superstar that's come out of Second City, Detroit. It's a long list of fantastic, fantastic folks. And most of us went on to work um, for the Second City and other venues. A tremendous amount of us moved from Second City, Detroit to Second City, Chicago, and then migrated out here to Los Angeles. But how fantastic. So how many years were you with Second City, Detroit? Oh, gosh. I mean, I was in tour- you know, I was in their touring company for a couple of years on their main stage for a couple of years. And then I was going back and uh, was fortunate enough to get to direct a few main stage shows. So I, would, I was going back and directing. So, yeah, I guess if you squished it all together, it'd probably be five, six years there. That is so cool. Now, was that where you did Love Factually or was that in Chicago? Love uh, Factually was uh, is a show. I, I should say is, I shouldn't put it in the past tense because we may see it again soon, but uh, Love Factually is a show that I um, was lucky enough to write uh, with two other wonderful writers, Nancy Hayden and Damon Royster. And we, um, we it was staged for two years in a row at the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C., just before the pandemic. Just before no, the pandemic. No, I heard that. And it's a loose, uh, we did two Christmas seasons with it, and it's a loose parody or satire, of course, of Love Actually. Which is one of my favorite movies. I can't tell you how many times I've seen it, so I would love to see Love Factually. What a great thing. I hope it will come back. I mean, there's always rumblings and talks. We'll see the state of theater is in such flux post-pandemic, but it's certainly my hope it will return to a venue somewhere sometime soon and then there was another show in washington wasn't it about obama yes i mean i was really most of the work that i did in washington dc um came in one way or another through the second city but i think because the second city is part of the reason it exists part of its mission statement from the beginning is to do socially relevant comedy, social commentary, political commentary, social satire, political satire. That you know, I think Second City is a really organic fit in Washington D.C., and so they've had ongoing pre-pandemic. They had ongoing relationships with two really wonderful theaters in Washington, D.C. One is called the Woolly Mammoth Theater, which is just about two blocks off the National Mall and is a wonderful and well-funded experimental theater. They do a lot of really edgy and different stuff. We did a, a, a Second City style political satire show that satirized then President Obama, Rahm Emanuel, and other figures. And uh, that went up in the first year of uh, President Obama's presidency. And because of that, I think because of the timing of that show and the vibe in Washington and the Obamas just getting there, we were lucky that it got a nice amount of buzz in town. And uh, the president himself didn't come in uh, see it, but... Uh, Rahm Emanuel, who was then chief of staff, and his family came and saw it. And I think about eight senators came all together and and and, and saw it. A few Congress people came and saw it, and uh, we got a. So that was nice. That was nice. 
Yeah, I read a great review of it. I think it was in the Washington, one of the Washington papers gave a great review of that show. So great. So so you're moving from Detroit to Chicago. And when you're still at Detroit, are you you're teaching by then before you leave? Yes. You know, I always loved it was my it was in my mind that prior to doing comedy full time, that uh, if I wasn't working in comedy or I wasn't working in wrestling, <laughs> that <laughs> I would be a teacher. I had thought that I was would be a teacher. So I was always interested in teaching. And as soon as I sort of knew enough that they would let me start teaching improv, I started teaching improv, which is over 20 years ago now. So and have always taught the whole time, whatever, wherever I was working, I was always teaching either improv or writing or both. I, it was it's always been a real joy and passion. I really, really, truly enjoy it. Well, and you're a fantastic teacher. I said oh, I wasn't thank you. too much. But you're one of my favorite teachers because you're so validating and supportive. And instead of looking at what didn't work, what did work and maybe how we can heighten it a little bit, but always being very kind and uh, generous. And I think as a writer yourself, you know, that's the kind of feedback we want as writers. We, you know, don't need people picking through things for us and finding out what's wrong with us and uh, you know, I've, as I said, I went through all three sessions of the sketch school, 101, 201, and 301, and look forward to it every week just because of you. So, um, yeah. And you've Well, that's very kind. And I've looked forward to working with you every week and your fantastic writing and the workshops and classes and environments, uh, you know, can only be kept that positive and constructive, I think, if everybody's on board and- uh, you know, you always brought, you always bring such a great, constructive, positive, helpful, useful energy and very, very funny writing too. And it's an open kind of environment where the others, we all got to know each other fairly well and it was yep. lovely. So maybe we should start talking about the sketch school now, how that came about. Um, I know there's lots more in your background, but I think I'd like to focus right now on how come you created the sketch school and instead of doing a brick and mortar, you're doing a virtual school. So maybe we could talk a little bit about that, Mark. Uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah. So we've been almost three years since sketch school launched. I can't believe it. But uh, prior to, as I mentioned, I always love teaching. I've always been teaching and I, I love teaching improv and have done a tremendous amount of improv teaching, but yeah, slightly ranking slightly above that. <laughs> is my love for sketch, writing sketch, watching sketch, doing sketch, and teaching sketch. And I thought that there was a little bit of a, I thought there was a little bit of a gap in the market because you could go to any of the major comedy theaters, right? You could go to Groundlings and IO and Second City and Annoyance and The Pack and UCB and they all have a sketch class. You know, they all have sketch classes. And I've taught or been in most of those classes. And they're all good. Like, they're good classes. Like, you're, you're not going to go to any of those places and and uh, hopefully and have a bad experience. I think you'll have a good sketch experience in any of their sketch classes. However, none of those institutions were, were elevating or doing sketch exclusively 
you know, they're mostly teaching improv classes. And then, okay, we've got a sketch class over here for you too, if you want to do it. And so, because my first love, even a little, little, little tiny bit more than improv is sketch, you know, I sort of got excited about the idea of opening a training center where we're focused, narrow focused, exclusively on sketch. And um, it was my uh, thought to do it as a brick and mortar location prior to the pandemic. And I was well into planning that the pandemic hit, everything shifted. And I thought there were two wonderful things about doing it online and digitally. Uh, one, I actually think I personally think the classes are even better on Zoom than they are in person because of the um, ways that we can use the technology. We can all still see each other. We can all still hear each other, but also it's easy to share screen. It's easy to play video. We can chat while we're talking. I love that part of it. I think it's a better experience that way. We can record it. If somebody has to miss, they go back, they see it later. If they miss part or miss a little or have to miss one week, okay, it's not the end of the world. You can still see what we did and catch up. And then, of course, the second big thing is the opportunity to reach each other from all over the globe. I mean, we have writers in our workshops from everywhere. They're in Tokyo. They're in the Philippines. They're in India. They're in Scotland. They're all over the U.S. They're all over Canada. They're in Brazil. We have writers in one in one room at the same time in one Zoom room creating together. And I just love that. And you just can't do that with a brick and mortar class. Right. It's so exciting. So exciting. And when I took my first class, I had no idea that there were so many different forms of sketch. And now whenever I turn on some comedy, uh, I've been watching a show called um, La Clarita uh, Diet with Tim Oliphant and Drew Barrymore. Oh, yeah. The zombie show. Zombie show. Well, it's all a sketch. I mean, I keep looking, you know, everything they're doing are bits and I just love it so much. And all those different styles that you taught, it was, wow, it was like entering a brand new world. And uh, there's so much to learn. And you have fabulous faculty there too, as well, don't you? Yes. I mean, we have our core sketch writing program, which I teach, which are the levels that you mentioned that you just went through, uh, Margo. Then also we have what we call elective workshops where people will come in from uh, um, with that have a certain area of expertise and teach on that. So J.B. Moyer, the rock star that you mentioned a moment ago, teaches for us every, you know, every now and then, mostly character workshops. Craig and Carla Kakowski, who are phenomenal, teach for us every now and then. Weekend workshops. Kevin McDonald from the Kids in the Hall is coming back again this fall for another workshop. Uh, so we're always looking for great elective classes as well for folks. And I've taken those. Before I studied with you, I took class with Jamie and I'm signed up for Craig because he's an incredible person, an incredible teacher. Yes. Gifted. So there's so many opportunities. I I would almost like to take my classes all over again. You're welcome to. (laughs) People do it. We have a lot of retake writers. Yes, a lot. Because even though our assignments were optional, it was always in my mind that I'm working on a sketch this week. And then I got a little lazy 
when class ended. I'm, I'm taking an, another writing class right now, but I, I got a little lazy in terms of really working that muscle. And it's a muscle you need to keep working, I think. I think it's, I do too. I mean, I think it's good to keep in practice. And a lot of people, when they do retake the levels, will take, that'll be one of the reasons that they cite. They miss the deadlines. They miss the writer's room. They miss the feedback on their sketches and they want to stay in that rhythm. Now you mentioned a writer's room and there's a specific writer's room that you offer at the sketch school. We launched those this summer. And uh, we have a Monday night writer's room and a Thursday night writer's room. There's seven writers, each in them. And we meet every Monday and Thursday, respectively, for two hours each. Everybody brings a sketch. We cold read it. We all give feedback for about 15, 20 minutes on each piece. And then we, we read the next one. And over the course of the week, writers can decide if they want to rewrite and bring back their rewrite based on the feedback or bring something new the next week. Most writers are rewriting. So we're mostly reading rewrites every week. And it's been, we're just past a two month point uh, it, with those writers rooms and they've been tremendous, tremendous, tremendous. So uh, that's been a really fun. I think it's been really rewarding for, I hope it's been really rewarding for the writers and I know it has been for me. I love it. <laughs> One oh one the first level one-on-one in order to get in and there's a waiting list because I've been trying to get into one of those writers room and there is a waiting list to get in. There has been no turnover in the room so far. (laughs) So the waiting list is growing and growing and growing. They are both full. So we're looking at that. And as that waiting list continues to grow, you know, we may look at adding um, another room before too long. Yeah. I hope you do so. And soon. Because I, it's just such a wonderful experience. It really, really is. Yeah, we'd so, love to get you in there. Yeah. So um, we were talking about, um, you know, your love of improv. And sometimes my guests will do a little scene with me. We might mm-hmm. just take a little suggestion and, um, you know, do a short scene. If that's something we might do today. Sure, whatever you like. Okay. And... Um, Gosh, I don't have my David Escobado book in front of me with all the suggestions in it. I have it on my bookshelf. Oh, there's my bookshelf over there. Um, but uh, do you have a book handy? We could just turn to a page and pick a word, like pick a play or pick a text. I have uh, my phone handy. <laughs> line, <laughs> line from a play. Okay, I'm Googling line from a play. let's see what comes up best famous 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 line from a play oh this isn't working the way i want it to it's just describing plays (laughs) if the text of your play includes line numbers on the side of the page then replace the page number with the act the scene i don't think we want that (laughs) uh famous lines from plays watch this it's coming this is going to be worth the wait a horse a horse a horse a horse okay and i want you to call the scene whenever you think we're ready to end okay Mark? okay 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 i've always been scared of horseback riding because of my size i think i'm too big for the horse 
That's why they make these really big Leppensteiner horses just for fellows like you. I mean, I'm 6'2", and I'm 260 pounds. Oh, I thought you were 300. You're thinner than I thought. Yeah, three. I was 300. I've been working on it. Well, we've got just the horse for you, I think. But, you know, fear is often the flip side of anxiety. Oh, I meant fear is the flip side of excitement. I, I get so nervous when I'm speaking around a big man such as you, Robert. Hmm. Well, there's no reason to be nervous. I, Like I said on my profile, I'm very gentle. I'm a gentle giant. I, uh, I'm gentle with people. I'll try to be gentle with the horses today. You've been very gentle so far. I appreciate that because being only three foot three, some people aren't really gentle with me. They want to pick me up and cuddle, you know, cuddle me. And that's hard for me. Yes, I could understand why that would be hard. That you're a you're a you're a, an adult and they're tr they're infantilizing you. They're treating you as if you're a small child. It's not appropriate. And I look like a small child. I mean, check me out. I've got a Versace on. This is my riding Versace outfit and high heels, which add another inch and a half to me. I, and I'm wearing makeup. Well, I think you look gorgeous. Well, thank you, Robert. I love your eyes. They're so deep and meaningful. Thank you. These are colored contacts. It's not my true eye color. I hope, I hope you don't... I hope you don't take offense. I hope oh. you don't think I'm a phony. Oh, I do not think you are a phony. This isn't the nose I was born with. Really? This, is, this is Madonna's nose. Mm. It's, it? I, <laughs> it does. You do. In that angle, you look You look very much like Madonna. If I look only between your, below your eyes and above your upper lip. That's right. That's you look right. just like Madonna. I um these uh these aren't my real teeth. This is a bridge in front right here. It's a wow. bridge. What comes out so easily? Look at that. I love that. Yeah, this is what I really look like. My front four teeth are missing. Well, I was I, a Was there an accident as a youth? Did, as a baby? What happened? I was attacked by a crocodile. In the bayou? Yes. Well, we were at Disney World. And uh, I wandered off. And uh, I was attacked by a crocodile. Luckily, I was saved by a costume character. Oh, my God. Which yeah, it was one of... character saved you? One of the three little pigs. I couldn't believe it. I was confused. I thought... I thought a giant pig was, I was already being attacked by a crocodile. And then I thought a giant pig was attacking me, but it wasn't. It was there to save me. I'm so glad you were saved, Robert. That's a lot of trauma. Yeah, it oh, is. It's a very traumatic place. I have to admit something else to you. I'm not really 260 pounds and I was never 300 pounds. This is a fat suit I'm wearing under my clothes. Wow, look at those pecs. You get great cheese with those pecs. Yeah, thank you. I I don't know. I just always felt like I was being objectified by women for my 
unbelievable body and my incredible vulnerability. And um, I was been hiding behind this fat suit. I want them to really connect, I guess, with uh, me as a person. I am so moved that you would share your true, authentic self with me. And I have a little secret as well to admit. What is it? Well, I'm actually not a real girl. I'm I'm what they call a robotic girl. Oh my God. That's perfect. I hate real girls. Oh great. Oh. <laughs> Sing. Aww. What a sweet little relationship those two have. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm so honored you played with me. That was wonderful. That was fun to do. I haven't improvised in a minute. That was fun to do. That's great. And the relationship is what it's about, totally, in improv and relationship. So are you doing, now you, I know you were down at some festival, was it, I don't know where you were, someplace in California a few months ago live. A friend of mine named Bright Sue went to it and he just loved it. Um, oh, I know Bright. Yeah, Bright has been in many of our workshops at Sketch School. Yeah, I forget where you were, but you gave something that was live. So are you doing more live things at all? A little bit. It's interesting as Sketch School has grown, um, I get more requests to sort of uh, teach at festivals or speak at festivals and that type of thing. And when it works for my schedule, I love to do it. It's fun to be out uh, meeting folks. But yeah, recently... Uh, done a couple things down in Orange County here in Southern California, including the UCI uh, festival just a couple months ago, which is probably what Bright saw. Wonderful. Yeah. And what about now? Are you doing anything else besides, I mean, you're doing a lot with sketch school. That's a full-time job. I know it is because you're running classes, you're sending out the videos, you're reading the, reading astutely all of the scripts that come in, the sketches that come in. And so what else is on your plate right now? Well, we'll see what happens with this strike. I had two pilots in various stages of development uh, before this all hit. Uh, one, uh, both we had done some pitching um, in the wider world on. One is a, a half an hour animated and the other was a live action half an hour sketch show. And um, now the strike has thrown you know, everything into flux. We'll see where the dust settles after all of this. It's certainly my hope that we'll be able to get back out there with one or both of those and knock on wood, maybe something will happen. I certainly hope so. This strike has been awful. And so many people don't even appreciate the fact of the writers. Writers are so often the last ones to be noticed. And they're the most important, whether we're talking about film or TV or sketch, they're really so important because they're creating everything and how is this effect it's affecting a lot of friends i'm sure as well the strike as well as it's, sad it's a massive you know personally you know it's a massive part of our life and our family right now because i'm wga and uh, my wife is sag so you know where both unions are on strike now a tremendous amount of our friends are on strike we're oh, just a couple blocks from 
from Paramount. And um, so that's an easy, you know, picket line location for us. But it's a big part of our lives right now. And it's something we're, you know, keeping close, close, close track of both to stand strong with the unions and also to follow the developments. I think it's really unclear right now what this contract is going to look like and what the future of the entertainment industry will look like with the emergence of AI. Um, we'll see. But my, I think there will be dramatic, dramatic, dramatic changes to the industry uh, in the short and long term. So I think it's important to stay tuned into. Well, I hope it's a positive change for all the incredible people that are actors and writers and all the other people that are being affected right now. We talk about the actors and writers, but there's crew. There's all kinds of people that are being affected by this strike. Yeah, like just right here on my street, one of our neighbors has been a cameraman in Hollywood for 40 years. You know, he's not working right now, obviously, during this streak. Another one of our neighbors is a really phenomenal chef. Like he's been on Iron Chef and stuff, but he's an incredible chef. But the company he works for, the the primary part of their business is catering to the entertainment industry. I mean, literal catering, right? right? Like they do catering to the entertainment industry. So that's not happening right now. So it affects the, this isn't, you know, I'm here in Los Angeles. This is an industry town and it affects the entire entertainment industry. So I hope it ends soon. With ways, with a positive result. <laughs> absolutely positive. Now, are there ways people can help the folks that are on strike right now? Are there some organizations or websites maybe I can share afterwards with my listeners about ways they can help people? Actually, the SAG after website and the WGA websites are probably the best place to go because there are a lot of information up on each of those and a lot of they're constantly updated with strike information, resources, ways to help out. And and also just literally just um, supporting on social media, I think, is another great way to help because. The court of a public opinion, I think, does matter in this type of stuff. And if the studios and producers can see that the unions have wide support, that that's that helps. That helps. And have you actually been down at the picket lines? Yeah, we're closest to Paramount. We're walking distance. We're just a few blocks away. So that's been the main one. But yeah, it's it's it was packed out there before. And since SAG joined, it's it's packed. It's a scene. <laughs> yeah, I know. I have a lot of friends that are doing that. So, yeah, I'm going to plug that as well when we talk, when I do the text that accompanies this podcast. Well, Mark, where are you going next? I know you've traveled around the world. Um, I know you have a young family and, um, you know, you've created this incredible, incredible online school that's helping so many people reach their potential and, and realize themselves. So do you have any other plans or are you going to just kind of tread water for a bit? We want to keep in terms of traveling, like you mentioned, I've been very fortunate to get to do a lot of traveling in my for my career. And I'm in a stage right now with a little family and a second and a second grader where uh, I'm trying not to travel too, too much. <laughs> you know, I kind of want to be I kind of want to be around right now. But uh, in terms of sketch school, 
we have a lot of plans to continue to grow and expand it over the next 12 to 18 months. And I'm very, very excited about all of that. So more to much more to come uh, with where Sketch School is headed. Well, that's tremendously exciting for me. And I know for a lot of my listeners, and I hope they all look into this and sign up if they haven't taken classes with you yet, Mark, at the Sketch School. Yeah, please come check it out. We're at thesketchschool.com. And I do, I regularly do free workshops. So like in, uh, so you'll always see if you go to thesketchschool.com, you'll see up on our main page whenever the next workshop, free workshop is. You could just go there, put your email address in. We'll sign you up for that next free workshop. And if you want to just try it out, um, get a sense for like what our classes feel like, what my vibe is as a teacher. If you think you'd be the right fit, it's a very low pressure way um, to sort of uh, test out uh, the waters. It's a fabulous opportunity. And I actually signed up for the next one. So um, <laughs> good, good. Whenever I can. Well, listen, I feel so great. I feel like I've gotten an injection of vitamin L for laughter. Talking <laughs> to you and energy. I feel so energized after speaking with you. And I shouldn't have said the expression treading water because I don't think you ever tread water, Mark. I think you're a, a powerhouse of energy and dynamo. Same to you, Margo. Thank you. <laughs> and I truly feel that about you as well. So um, I, again, want to thank you tremendously about being here today and sharing your story, which is just a beautiful story and being my teacher. Oh, so well, thank you. It's a, I love working with you and love getting the chance to guest on this podcast, which since I, I've learned, you know, about it, you've had sit, so many tremendous guests on here. And um, it's a thrill to be part of that sort of lineage of folks you've had on here. So thank you. It's quite an honor. Yeah, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I <laughs> 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 think of Wayne's world again. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. I can't accept a compliment. Well, until we meet again, whether it's Sketch School or someplace on Larchmont Avenue, <laughs> uh, say goodbye to you for now and see you again real soon, Mark. Thank you thank so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and look forward to you joining us next time on Improv Interviews with Margot Escott.